Revelation chapter 2. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for you this morning to have this special time to be with you, to be together. We trust that the songs have blessed you, that they've been honoring to you. And now as we, just, as we settle our hearts before you, that you would meet with each and every one of us in a special way this morning. We thank you for the book of Revelation and how we're seeing you in a new and a fresh way. This morning's no different. Would you show us more about you, that we would fall in love with you more and grow in those things that you would have for each and every one of us? As your word says, to grow in grace and the knowledge of you. And so we open our hearts to all that you want to do this day. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, and we look forward to a fresh work of your Spirit in this place. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what God's Word says. Jesus speaking here to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so I just want to point out chapter one, remember, ended with Jesus. There's some red writing there, correct? You guys see that? And Jesus defined for us what the lampstands were in which he was standing in the middle of and the stars that were in his right hand. Jesus gave us a definition. The lampstands are the seven churches. In his hand are the messengers, one messenger for each church. And then also remember with me, Jesus also gave the outline for the entire book for us. Isn't that great that Jesus would do that? We don't have to figure out an outline for this book. He just gave it to us back in chapter 1, verse 19. 
right? He told John the apostle to number one, write down the things, number one, what? Which you have seen. What did he see in chapter one? He saw Jesus, right? Glorified, awesome, beautiful, amazing. He was blown away and, and it was great to get a fresh, fresh vision of Jesus, wasn't it? To see him as he truly is. And then he said to write down, second, look what it says in verse 19, the things which are, the things that were happening at that time, which would be chapter 2 and chapter 3. We've moved into the next section of this outline that Jesus gives us, and they are seven report cards, if you will, to those seven churches that existed in John's day, seven literal churches. And so Jesus will evaluate Jesus gives his evaluation of the performance, the condition, and the ministry of each one of those churches and their specific application for each congregation as well. But can I remind us also that there's application for us today, this morning? Are you with me this morning? All seven of these churches continue throughout, from, that, from John's day all the way through church history. Um, we can find ourselves personally in any one of those seven churches, in my opinion. We can find ourselves in Ephesus. We can find ourselves in uh, Philadelphia or Sardis. Any of those seven churches, that type of church, we can find ourselves in. And some people believe that the seven churches represent the uh, church eras, one after another in history. I personally don't really agree with that. I see it kind of a little forced, a little artificial. Um, and so don't you don't need to come up to me after service and tell me all about that. I know that already. <laughs> I just don't really particular, I mean, I think it's a stretch to make it fit, uh, but if you want to believe that, that's awesome, but the most important thing is you need to realize it applies to us not only congregationally or corporately, but each one of us individually as well this morning. Um, and so there's elements of each church around today. And, and listen, Jesus is okay with different churches. Did you know that? Seven different churches. He's okay with the different churches. Um, he moves in all of them. And so the church means a lot to Jesus. Before we start this morning, I just want us to understand that the church means a lot. It is his blood-bought bride. We are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And some people say they don't need to go to church. And um, you can't say yes to Jesus and no to church. Because Jesus is in the church. He established it. He gave us the model for it in Acts chapter 2. Um, how you treat church is how you treat Jesus. Because he's the head. The church is the body of Christ. and Because people come up to me and say that sometimes. Hey, I'm not into church, man. And I say that's a problem because Jesus is. And he attends this church. Do you know that he attends this church? He cares for this church. He shepherds this church. And so what is a successful church in Jesus' eyes? What's a successful church in God's eyes? Because there's a lot, lots of people will tell you, oh, you need to have a building, you need to have this certain budget, you need to have these certain ministries going on, and so on and so forth. And I have people that come, sometimes people send letters to me about you need to do demographic studies, and you need to do this and do that. And here's all that I know. I'm going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account for what I do with his flock. And I take it very seriously. And every year I evaluate myself personally and I evaluate our church corporately on how we're doing based upon these letters. And these letters really are the most important thing. What does Jesus think? 
what pleases him, what displeases him, how should the church look like. And so each letter we're going to see will follow a basic outline. Are you with me this morning? Each one has a basic outline. Jesus, we find out who the letter's to, who the letter is from. Jesus identifies himself with each one of these letters. Um, and then he gives a commendation, the things that the church, that is, the church is doing good. And then after that, he gives his diagnosis or his prognosis. What I mean by that is he tells us what things are displeasing to him in the letter. And then it goes on to Jesus giving counsel or the cure. Or the, Aren't you glad he gives the cure and the remedy? When there is a bad prognosis or a diagnosis, he says, here's how to get right and stay right. Here's what you need to do. Here's the adjustments that you need to make in your life. And then he uh, gives an affirmation or an exhortation. And then he gives a promise or a reward to genuine believers. And then he says, he gives that, that famous line, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so two churches receive no correction at all. The church of Smyrna, which we'll see, and also the church of Philadelphia. Two churches receive no commendation, nothing good. And we'll get to those, Sardis and Laodicea. And so God has a lot to say about the future. And we're going to see that in the third part of the outline, okay, in chapters 4 through 22. We're going to get to that because some people come to me and say, Pastor, when are we going to get to the good stuff? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, have you missed what we've looked at so far? Because Jesus is concerned right now with you and with me, with your current relationship with him. And so before we see what happens in the future, remember what Peter wrote? Judgment begins in the house of God with us. And Jesus is giving, again, his report cards to each one of these churches. And so we need to check it out. Look at verse one with me. To the angel of the church, an angel, we talked about this last week, that word angel throughout the New Testament, um, it's either used for a heavenly messenger, i.e. an angel, or it's used for an earthly messenger, someone who brings God's message to someone else or delivers something to someone else. And I personally believe it's best to view, um, when we see angel, the word angelos, I, I, I view it, the best way to view it, I think, <laughs> in my own opinion, is that it's the pastor of the church or the one called um, to communicate God's truth to the church. And so the pastor or the leader, um, the one who's to communicate to the congregation, to the church of Ephesus. What do we know about Ephesus? What do we know about the city of Ephesus? This ancient city was a, uh, was a very wealthy city. It was right on the coast, modern-day Turkey. If you have a Bible map, you can check it out. On the western side of Turkey, it was sophisticated, not only sophisticated and wealthy, but the Romans made it the capital of Asia Minor at that time. So very, a lot of Roman influence at that time, a lot of trade going on. We know that there was a huge temple there as well. In fact, it was one of the wonders of the world at that time. You guys remember who that temple was to? Diana or, or Artemis. That's right. In fact, um, the, the worship people would come in, flock 
from all over the globe to worship there at Ephesus at this giant temple where idolatry and sexual immorality were rampant throughout, this, um, throughout the worship that was going on there throughout the city. And so it was a pretty dark city, um, pretty heavy stuff that was going on there. Um, the temple, again, world-renowned. And how do we know some of these things? You guys, for, for us that study God's word, we know where this church began, don't we? We know where this church began? Acts chapter 18. If you're taking notes, Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20. It's beautiful because this church is rich in heritage. You remember it was started back in Acts chapter 18, ministry going on. Uh, Apollos was there, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul was there also. The church was birthed there. Paul came back and ministered there for three years and pastored the church there in Ephesus. Remember how awesome it was, what was going on? They were just sharing the word of God and ministering to people. And what was happening? People involved in in, in wickedness and darkness, witchcraft. They're burning their magic books. They're cutting their ties to their former life, serving Jesus, so much so that they were beginning to put the temple, uh, some of the temple businesses out of business, if you will. And so... um, they weren't too happy about that. So there was persecution going on as well um, with the church that was happening there. Remember in Acts chapter 20, Paul met with the leaders of this church before he left and gave them instruction and exhortation, some warnings as well. Um, we know Paul pastored there. We know someone else. Who else pastored there? Timothy pastored there also. And uh, church history tells us that John the Apostle also pastored there as well. And so we also know something else. We also know a letter was written to them. You guys remember that letter? What was that letter called? Ephesians, right? Not a trick question. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to them, right? And so we get a lot of, I mean, this is a church that was well-taught, that they were well-instructed. They were a church that understood ministry, did ministry. And so Jesus says, I want you to write this to to them, to the church there, give it to the, to the pastor for the church. And then notice in the second half of verse 1, these things says he, and then Jesus identifies himself. And, and when he identifies himself, he usually uses something from chapter 1, from that amazing vision that John saw. And he says there, notice this self-description, and it will apply to each church He says, he who holds the seven stars or the seven angels in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And so Jesus reminds the church, it's he holds those pastors, those messengers in his hand. That speaks of John chapter 10, by the way, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, your life is in Jesus's hands. Isn't that good to be reminded of this morning? Speaks of security, speaks of um, safety, anything in Jesus' hand, that's the safe, safest, most wonderful place to be. And for me personally, as a pastor, I love being reminded that I'm in his hand. I physically, um, I was struggling this morning um, and just crying out to the Lord, and, and I was reading in Isaiah 41, um, I don't think it was an accident, and then someone shared uh, first service at 7 a.m., the same verse. Um, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So great to be reminded of that, isn't that? 
this morning that he's the one that upholds us with his righteous right hand. And then Jesus reminds the church that he's right there in the midst. He's right there in the middle of the churches. Anytime two or three are gathered, he's right here, right in our midst. And he is to be at the center of the church, correct? He's to be number one in the church. And it's interesting because it says he who walks. When you hear that word walk in scripture, like we walk with the Lord, right? We're to walk in love, walk in light, walk in truth. It speaks of our manner of life, how we conduct ourselves. Jesus walks right in the middle of the church. In other words, he's active, tending to his flock, or as a lampstand. Remember the lampstands were oil, they were oil, oil oil-fueled, right? They needed to be cleared of soot, wicks trimmed also. So Jesus tends to his church to make sure we keep burning brightly, Um, And can I just encourage us this morning, don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't lose sight of him, his awesome glory. Don't stop holding him in awe or you're going to miss everything that's communicated to us this morning. It's awesome to know that we're in his hand, that I'm in his hand, that you're in his hand. It's awesome to know he's right here with us this morning, caring for us, wanting to minister to each and every one of us in a personal and a glorious way. So what does he say? What does Jesus see? He commends them. Here's the report card. He says, I know. I know. You know what? That's that's amazing, isn't it? Jesus knows everything. He he has full knowledge. Um, All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He sees. And that's really either really comforting or really convicting this morning, isn't it? To know that he sees. What does he see? Number one, your works. He sees what you got going on, the things you're doing. Number one, he commends them for what? For their labor. And that word labor means laboring to the point of exhaustion. So they're laboring for the Lord. This was not a lazy church. They were a church that served and ministered to the community. They served and ministered to one another. And uh, they, so they were hard workers. I would say number one, what pleases Jesus is hard work for him being involved in his work, serving and ministering in his name, a church that labors for him. Number two, he commends them for what? For their, what does it say? For, for your patience. This is our, our the Greek, you guys know this Greek word, hupomone, right? Sounds Italian, hupomone. means to bear up under. And not only bear up under whatever the weight is that you got going on, it's to do it with cheerfulness and hopefulness is the idea. And so they continued with Jesus, in the midst of the heaviness that was going on in their lives, the persecution that was happening against the church as well. So not only were they, they were hard workers, they were not quitters either. Jesus commands that is us not being quitters because that's, you know what, that's, that happens a lot today, doesn't it? There's a lot of quitters out there, people that don't want to hang in there and to endure and to keep pressing on and pushing on. Jesus commends that. Number three, you cannot bear those who are evil. So the church refused to support or endorse those who were actively engaged in wickedness and were destructive to others. You know what that means? This was a church that exercised church discipline. And um, there were some in the church or that were trying to be part of the church that were involved in habitual, unrepentant, willful sin, and um, they wanted tolerance. But anybody that wants tolerance, you, you just want endorsement for your sin. 
and they were not going to endorse what they were involved in. In fact, it's interesting because you look at what, G, what, what, what Paul said to the church in his letters and what he said to the leaders, they put into practice in their lives in the church. And so if you want to be involved with evil, so the church said, if you want to be involved in this behavior and what is evil, go and have at it out there in the world, not in here. We can't supply what you're looking for, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That doesn't go on here. That goes on in the world. Go have at it, not here at church. In fact, don't attach Jesus' name to it. Go out there, have at it. When you're done having at it, then come back and we'll walk together and be led in paths of righteousness by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those, like a cancer, unwilling to repent, needed to be removed for the health of the rest of the body. And so the church had a healthy immune system. And then look what else. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You know what that means? The church used discernment in who they allowed to have influence on their lives. Are you tracking with me still this morning? They use discernment in who they allowed to have influence on their lives. Because there are people that try to come into the church sometimes that are bogus, that are phony, that promote false teaching, promote heresies, bring in winds of doctrine. Um, Paul warned them about wolves that would come from outside and would rise up from inside. And to beware, they were beware, bewaring, is that a word? They were, they were wary of wolves, if you will. So they were, you know what that meant? They were a well-taught church. They knew their Bibles. They were able to identify error in what they were hearing. And I would say not just that, not only the error in what they were hearing, but the error in what they were seeing as well. Well, Mike, doesn't love believe all things? Absolutely. But we are to test all things also and hold fast that which is good. Because we've had people come here, self-proclaimed prophets, um, people claiming to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they want to get to the pulpit or they want to lead a small group. And you know what we say? Awesome, dude. Why don't you just chill for a little bit? I can't chill. I'm too hot. I'm on fire. Well, why don't you just fizzle out here just for a little bit, just chill, and then we'll see how your theology has worked out in your life. And we'll see the fruit of that theology. Why? Because Jesus said what? You'll identify false, the false by their fruit, right? Wolves in sheep's clothing. And so what do they say about Jesus is the, is the big question. Who is Jesus to them? Does their ministry look like Jesus? Does what they're doing and, and got, they got going on in their lives look like the Lord Jesus Christ? And so this church was healthy in their discernment and their exercising of discernment. And then look at verse 3. Under tremendous opposition and persecution, they persevered. They hung in there. They bore one another's burdens also. That's what that word means also, to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, it tells us, bear one another's burdens Awesome, they hung in there. And then notice in verse 3, Jesus, again, a second time mentions they have patience. And then a second time he mentions they've labored. They were doing what they were doing for the name of the Lord Jesus, for his glory, for his honor, 
And they weren't just hearers of the word, they were doers of the word of God. And not only that, look at the end of verse three, they did not become weary. They didn't slow down. They didn't have any sick days. They pushed through everything. Is that an amazing church, y'all? Doesn't it sound like it? That's a church you want to go to right there, isn't it? Sick website, all the stuff going on. They didn't have websites. This is a joke. Just make sure you're still with me. But all of that, listen, that's all commendable stuff. Hallelujah, right? Isn't that an awesome church? Like, that's a church I want to be going to. All this stuff, they got amazing stuff happening in the church. And then our Lord, right? Man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, at the heart. And he gives his prognosis or diagnosis. Nevertheless, you know what nevertheless means? Everything you've heard previous, just forget about it. You got lots of good stuff. It's a well-oiled machine. But I have this against you. Here's what it comes down to. Here's the issue. That you have left your first love. You don't love the way you used to. You no longer love me like you did at the beginning. The church, the bride of Christ, had moved away from a simple love relationship with Jesus. Can I just point out, it doesn't say you lost your first love. Love for Jesus, listen, this morning, love for Jesus is not something you lose, it's something you leave. And it happens, it's a process that happens over time. I looked up that word left because I was interested just to hear what it, what it meant. It means to depart from, to disregard to neglect, to allow to expire, to leave behind, and to put distance between yourself and the other person. Notice it's first love. There was no longer that love that they had in the beginning of their relationship. First means the foremost, the prior, the beginning, the love of, of an engagement or of a spousal or a betrothal when there was that excitement, that passion, that closeness, that intimacy, that zeal, I would say, whether there was intensity and meaning in the relationship. And now they were, do, they were doing, weren't they? They were doing, but it was being done out of habit. They kept doing, but they stopped loving. Does that make sense? They kept doing, but they stopped loving. And please note, Jesus didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. He was right there. The church was so busy doing stuff, doing the right stuff, because that's all good stuff. They were so busy doing the right stuff, they neglected the one to whom they were doing it for. Their motivation was no longer love. And so there was no longer intimacy. In fact, Paul commended this church for their love. In that letter to the Ephesians, he commended them for their love, um, but now there's no longer that intimacy, that closeness. Their love relationship moved into a business-as-usual relationship. Nothing special. Let me put it another way. Their, their, their home turned into a house. They substituted duty for devotion, work for worship, labor for love, and the cooling of love, can I just mention this this morning? The cooling of love is a dangerous trend that can happen. Not only corporately, 
but also individually too in our lives. Can I just point out, it can happen in a marriage also. Not this church. Our marriage is no way. But like muscles, like muscles can atrophy, right? They deteriorate over time. They shrivel. You can, you can leave that love, that first love in your marriage over time if you're not careful in your relationship, if you're not careful to keep the fire burning, to keep it stoked, because love is powerful, isn't it? Isn't love a powerful force? I mean, dudes, think about when you first fell in love with your radical Christian babe. <laughs> Did you take a bath? You started bathing regularly? It, it, right? You saved up your money to take her out, right? There was no expense that was too much. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about? You still... Did that happen, hopefully? Still happening? Right? You combed your hair. You dr- right? You would never let any sounds come out of you that would be... Di- <laughs> Hit a little closer to home. Is that like... You open the door... How about gals too, right? Right? You, you, you write his name and put, you write your name and put his last name. Right? Right? And then anytime you heard his name, it would be like just fluttering. Oh, can't wait to see him. And man, when we didn't have cell phones, so we couldn't like send, you know, love you, babe, and then heart eyes, you know, a little emoji. <laughs> We had to actually write a letter, handwrite it, put the stamp on it, send it out. You know what I'm talking about? Leave little love notes for them, right? right? Little love notes. But, at, but what happens over time? It cools off, doesn't it? You know, you've turned to face the one you love and you want to spend time with that person, do stuff with that person, listen to that person, talk with that person. Man, no sacrifice is is too much for that person. Then over time, it begins to cool off, doesn't it? And the same thing can happen in our relationship with the Lord. And I, I find it amazing that we can grieve him. We can grieve the one that we love. And love is crucial. And because if you don't love, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. All that activity you're doing doesn't mean anything without love, right? Because we're to, what's the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 1 Corinthians 13, whatever we do, if there's no love, it's worthless, it's empty. And so I would say also, first love not only includes our love for Jesus, but our love for one another also. Because listen, if we're jacked up vertically, we're gonna be jacked up horizontally. Are you with me? We're messed up this way, vertically, I mean this way, in our intimacy, in our closeness, staying fresh and current with the Lord, we're going to be messed up this way. And not only that, having a love for the lost world also, recognizing that they need Jesus just as much as I do as well. How do we get back on track? Look what it says. I love this. Jesus doesn't just give the diagnosis and then hang with them. See you later. What does he say? The great physician gives the cure. Number one, remember from where you have fallen. Jesus didn't go anywhere. You and I need to recognize what? You've fallen. You fell. 
But you can get back up. You can get back up. You're down, but not out. So what are we to do? What does it continue? The tense in the Greek is continually remember. As if Jesus is saying this morning, remember when you fell in love with me? You remember when you fell in love with Jesus? Think back. What was it like? Take a trip down memory lane. What was that time like when you first were in love with him and began your relationship with him? When there was romance, when there was closeness, when there was intimacy. Don't lose sight of the past, how you used to love, how you used to think, what you used to do. Do you remember when you cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me, help me, rescue me. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I can't believe you saved me, you rescued me. Go back to that place of intimacy when you felt so close to him. Think back, he says, remember, and it's continually. That's the one, one time it's good to look in the rearview mirror, by the way. Number one, remember. Number two, what? What's it say? Second R. Repent. Have a change of heart, change of mind that leads to a change of direction in your life. Repentance is required to get back up, to get back on track. Can I just encourage us once again on this issue? Repentance is not just a one-time deal. It is a, it is a lifestyle of repentance. And we're walking with Jesus and, and there's times we recognize, man, I'm messed. Lord, help me. Please forgive me. You're right. I'm wrong. You confess to him this morning to confess and ask for help, ask for his forgiveness this morning. It's not a command to feel differently, but to think and act differently, literally with intensive force. There needs to be a complete change of direction in your thoughts and your attitude and your actions and your reactions. You know, it's interesting because there's some backsliders that are outside the church, but there's some backsliders this morning that are in the church. And you need to repent. And Stop looking at others and what's wrong with them. And say, Lord, search my heart. Have I drifted away from that love? I mean, you know, it's between you and the Lord. You know whether you still had that first love fire going. Well, what if, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess this morning. I would say it's okay. Because look at the last thing. What does he say? So we repent. You acknowledge it. You confess it. What does he say next? To do what? To do the first works. It's still okay to do stuff for the Lord, but what we do must be rooted in love for him. The works are to flow from love as at first. To do the things you used to do when your love burned brightly. Do you guys remember what you used to do? I remember when I first got saved, I would witness to anybody. Wallpaper. Anybody that would listen. <laughs> because I, want, I couldn't wait to share with people about the person I love. And don't we do that? Don't we share with others what we love? I mean, I can learn a lot about you by just listening to you. What you love and are looking at your Instagram. I don't go in. I'm not a stalker. Don't worry. <laughs> Every once in a while, people show me stuff. It's like... If that shoe fits, wear it this morning. That was not in the notes or in the study. I would spend, I would spend like my waking hours, I couldn't wait to read my Bible, 
to spend time with the Lord, listening to him, praying. Every time those church doors opened, I was here. I just want whatever, whatever you got for me, I want to serve Jesus. Listen, the rapture became more than just a theological thing for me. It became something I'm looking forward to, Jesus coming for me because he loves me. He wants to bring me home to the place that he's prepared for me. I couldn't wait to share with anybody, listen, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He wants to rescue you right now. He did it in my life. He changed me. Man, I couldn't wait to share about Jesus with people. I mean, isn't that what happened when you fell in love with your babe? Your radical Christian babe, dudes, did you talk about her? No, I'm not going to talk about her about it to anybody. We talked about, we talk about the things we love, don't we? And share with others the things we love. And so, our, listen, our love is to deepen as we walk with the Lord. It's to grow, to redo the first works. What was it for you? Bible study, prayer, fellowship, worship. And, and maybe, maybe this morning you're saying, I, you know what, I just don't feel like it. You know what? Just do it and the feelings will follow. You just, just do what the Lord says. And those feelings will follow in this situation. Because that is a prayer, that is a, a, an adjustment that is right in line with his heart, with his will, with what he wants to do in your life. He doesn't want us away from that love relationship. And then he issues a warning. Look at verse, the end of verse 5. If there's failure to follow through on the doctor's orders, he says, or you never want to hear Jesus say, or else, do you? Or else, if the church fails to follow through, or if the church doesn't take the Lord seriously, or, check this out, if you or I as an individual blow off what he says, the only other option is what? Jesus is going to show up with quickness and speed and remove your lampstand from its place. Whoa. I'm not really sure totally what that means. Um... I know he's going to get, he'll get rid of the church because it's interesting of the only churches that survive to this day is the church of Smyrna, which we'll, we'll learn about next week, the suffering church in Ephesus. No more church there. Lampstand gone. Revi- the choice is revival or removal. If you, cause if you leave love, you lose light is the idea. The idea, I think the idea is that, is that we will no longer be an influence, no longer shine in the way that the Lord wants us to. Like Jesus spoke about, if, a salt, if salt loses its flavor, it's good for what? It's good for nothing. It's flavorless. It's powerless. It's irrelevant. And just to think about, you can do what is right with the wrong heart. To just take a step back and say, okay. The problem is the longer you do it that way, the further you get from Jesus. And sooner or later, if you and I don't make the adjustments, we will find ourselves no longer shining as he wants us to. And so there's no longer that vibrancy in our lives, that brightness. What's left? What's left after that? Just darkness. It gets darker and darker, and there won't, if things won't get easier or better, they just will continue to deteriorate. Are you with me this morning? Three, three R's is how I remember it. Remember, repent, and redo the first works. Real simple. Remember, repent, and redo. It says do, but the little re make, helps me to remember it. But look at this, another commendation from Jesus. Look what he says. He adds something else good here. But this you have. You're, you're also doing good in this department. 
that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The church hated this type of deeds or behavior. Well, who in the world are the Nicolaitans? Isn't that interesting? Those people that followed St. Nick? Is that what's talking about here? <laughs> it's interesting. If you, look, if you just look at the, the word Nicolaitan, you break it down. Nico um, or Nico speaks of conquering. And Laetan speaks of laity. Nico or Nike, we get Nike, right? If you, anybody wearing Nikes this morning, you're, you're conquering in your Nikes? That's, that's what it means, to conquer. And Laetan means the laity, the people. So conquer the people. What that means is there was a certain group of men in the church, leaders, that were what? That were like dictators, that they were lording it over the people. They're, they're, they're ruling over the people is the idea. Some of you, I know, you've come from churches like that. You've told me, you've shared with me where everything, you need to funnel everything through the leadership before you make a decision. That is nonsense. You should hate those deeds. Because why? Jesus hates those deeds of the Nicolaitans, lording it over God's precious people. No, we're to come alongside God's precious people to be helpers of their joy, to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to encourage and to build up and to strengthen as leaders in the church. And so they lord it over the flock and some of them, listen, some leaders will strong arm you and manipulate you, even using the Bible. Can I just encourage you in that? Be careful, beware. You know, you end up somewhere, you end up moving to another church that they're telling you what to do, what you can and can't do. And it's not, man, they're twisting the scriptures. It's like, whoa, whoa. And what they do is they set themselves up between Jesus and you. There's only one mediator. Guys, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He has your phone number. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Are you with me this morning? Because here's the deal. They set themselves up in place of Jesus. They come in between the bride and the bridegroom. And Jesus hates that, those deeds. Because why? Jesus doesn't want anyone getting between him and you. And him and me. Because of his love for us because of his care for us. And so, nothing, listen, nothing, nothing, no one is to come between you and Jesus. No pastor, preacher, pope, what, doctor, anyone else. Ministers are to be helpers of your joy, to point you to Jesus. Well, he who has an ear, look what it says. You got ears this morning? I got two of them, man, yeah. It, it speaks to the ear of our heart, really. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Please notice that word hear. We get acoustic from this word. It means to really listen to what's being said and to do what's being said, to make the adjustment in your life and in my life. Hear what this Holy Spirit is communicating to the churches. Isn't that interesting? So individuals we need to hear as a church we need to hear also to him who overcomes the individual or the church that overcomes this deficiency what's the promise you guys like promises what does jesus say i will give jesus promises to give to eat from the tree of life and where is it located in the midst of the paradise 
of God. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Jesus says, I'm going to give plenty of fresh fruit for you to eat from this special tree that's located where? In the middle of heaven where God lives. We learn about this. Where where do we first hear about this tree of life? Genesis Genesis chapter 2, right? And we read about it later in Genesis chapter 22. Are you with me? And so Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis, the very thing that broke God's heart when fellowship was broken there in the garden where God simply desired fellowship with man. And now he says, listen, I want to remind you one day we're going to walk together in the paradise of God and partake of this fruit. And that, you guys like fruit? Like total, that's like totally organic, non-GMO stuff right here. You're going to partake of this fruit with Jesus, enjoying every moment with him face-to-face in unbroken fellowship for all eternity. In intimacy with him. And listen, that intimacy, once we give our life to the Lord, that intimacy is to remain unbroken, even now. That freshness, being fresh and current with the Lord. Listen, this can happen to all of us, where we allow our love to deteriorate. It's not an accident you're here this morning. Maybe that's you this morning. And so this, would be, this is a great time not to put it off, not to blow it off, but this morning to do business with Jesus, to confess. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It's saying, Lord, I agree. I agree. You're right. I'm wrong. I've allowed this to happen. You didn't go anywhere. Forgive me. Lord, would you stoke the fire in my heart again? You know what he's going to do? He's going to do that. You remember from where you fell, you repent, and you start redoing those first works as at the first, and watch what he'll do in your life and in my life. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning ministering to us. God, you're so good.